Listening to the flip side with Noah Philippiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grid of life. You can support the podcast and pick up some sweet flip side swag at www.patreon.com slash Noah Philippiak. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Flip Side Podcast. So glad that you are with us today. Today is a very exciting episode. Uh, We're going to be interviewing Dr. Glenn Bracey and Dr. Michael Emerson on their upcoming book called The Religion of Whiteness, How Racism Distorts American Christianity. Just a quick backstory. I read Dr. Emerson's book, Divided by Faith, co-authored with Christian Smith, back in 2008. And the subtitle to Divided by Faith is Evangelical Religion and the Problem of Race in America. And that book, coupled with a a one-day conference held at my seminary where Dr. Emerson came and spoke, along with George Yancey and my professor, David Livermore, uh, that day changed the way that I view race. It changed the way I view ministry. It changed the way that I view America. If you've not read Divided by Faith, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, But to get to talk to Dr. Emerson in this interview today, along with his new co-author, Dr. Glenn Bracey, is just a real, real honor for me. It's not often that I get to talk and interact with someone that God used in just a such a profound way to change my life, my direction, my calling. And so, uh, so I'm excited. I'm excited for this interview today. A couple things uh, before we jump in. For some, I think this interview today will be refreshing. I think it'll be a relief and for, for you to say, man, I'm, I'm not alone. Okay, there's some hope. Uh, I, I think for others, it will be surprising. I think for others, it will be maybe even upsetting. And I would just ask you, one, thank you for listening. Thank you for clicking on this one. A bit of a provocative title talking about the religion of whiteness. Just to listen the whole way through, you know, to just to just listen the whole way through. I think we say some things at the end. Uh, my my heart is that the things we talk about are able to be received by everybody listening, and I think that's what's really missing in the the discourse today, uh, both politically and in the church. We have a hard time with listening well. We have a hard time with presenting things in a way that they can be received. And at the end of the day, wherever you, whatever you fall and conclude, I hope the flip side helps you with critical thinking. You know, I am a pastor, and this is a podcast that expresses my, po- my pastor heart. And so there are certain subjects that if you, if you fall on the left, uh, there's going to be things that challenge you on this, on this uh, podcast at some point. At some point, some of these episodes that we put out are going to challenge you. If you fall on the right, there's going to be episodes that challenge you. And I think that's good. And I think that's healthy. I think it's really easy to just do a podcast that's all about the right. And all the people on the right listen to it and subscribe. It's really easy to do a podcast all on the left and have everybody on the left listen and subscribe. And that certainly includes Christians. You can do a a podcast for the Christian right and a podcast for the Christian left, and I'm just not called by God to do that. 
understanding that I will lose listeners along the way. But I hope that I also gain listeners along the way that can uh, that can appreciate and respect uh, the critical thinking that we're trying to do here and really looking at all of Scripture. As a pastor, I try to preach through all of the messages of Scripture, and there's a whole bunch in Scripture about sex and sexuality. There's a whole bunch in Scripture about justice and God's heart for justice in the kingdom. There's a whole bunch in Scripture about a whole bunch of things. So that's why, on the flip side, we talk about a lot of things. So my hope is that you can uh, grow in your trust of me as a, a podcast host and as a pastor. Not that I'm your pastor. It's certainly different in a local church setting than just you know doing a podcast. But in a sense, uh, it is a type of pastoring and that you can, as, as you listen to many episodes of The Flip Side, you can grow in trust of me and where my heart is. So uh, with that, let's get moving uh, towards the getting you to the interviews because there's a whole bunch of good stuff to get to. Uh, before we do, if you want to be a part of making The Flip Side sustainable, I'd invite you to become a Patreon supporter. You can go to patreon.com slash Philippiak and subscribe monthly for a small fee, and you'll get some great swag. Another thing you can do if you want to make the flip side sustainable, and I, which, which means we need to grow. We need to grow the flip side uh, to be able to keep doing it. This is something everybody can do. It's free. You probably don't think about it. Uh, but I would ask you to find your favorite episode. Maybe today will be your favorite episode. Maybe you have a favorite episode from the past. To find whatever your favorite episode is and then share the link on social media along with a little note that tells your followers why you like this episode or why you like the flip side and encourage them to listen. That would go a long way in helping grow the episode. So that's my challenge uh, for you today. Also, shout out to Angry Brew. Got my Angry Brew and my Flipside mug today. My third favorite podcast is the Flipside on my mug. You can go to angrybrew.com or fivelakes.com, pick up your bag of Chris's Blend or Angry Brew and get 10% off your order and support the Flipside along the way. So big shout out to Five Lakes and Angry Brew for their sponsorship of the Flipside. All right, so... Um, Couple, one more thing, and then let me read uh, Dr. Bracey and Dr. Emerson's bio, and then uh, we're going to jump into the content of the, uh, the rest of the content of the episode today. This is not the first time we've talked about racial justice on the podcast. Uh, it's probably one of the more provocative ways that it's been talked about. Uh, but if you're new to listening uh, or you've just missed these episodes somehow, I'd invite you to go back in the archives and get a little more context to the thread of this conversation on this podcast. So back in episode 36, I interviewed David Swanson on his book, Rediscipling the White Church. Episode 55, Chase and I talk about gentrification and redlining. Episode 57, Chase and I talk about CRT, critical race theory, white privilege, white supremacy. Episode 63, I lay out my story. Uh, I Just here's my story of how I grew up in the white suburbs and had nothing on my radar about this till today where I'm very passionate about racial justice. That's episode 63. Episode 64, Dr. Robert Chow Romero talks about the Latina-Latino struggle for justice in America. Episode 65, Chase and I talk about racial justice again. And most recently, I interviewed in episode 75, Miss, uh, Michelle Sanchez on color courageous discipleship. So, we're going to dive in today on episode 84. 
Let me read to you uh, Dr. Bracey and Dr. Emerson's bios and then a few kind of brief instructions on, on what leads into our interview, and then we'll jump into the interview. Dr. Glenn Bracey is an assistant professor of sociology at Villanova University, where his work specializes in race, religion, and social movements. Bracey is an award-winning teacher and scholar with publications in leading academic journals, an emerging voice on issues ranging from critical race theory to racial protests and national politics. Bracey has appeared in several national media outlets. He was co-principal investigator with Dr. Michael Emerson on the Race, Religion, and Justice Project, which you can learn more about at rrjp.org. Dr. Michael Emerson, who earned his Ph.D. in 1991 from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, is the Harry and Hazel Siobhan Fellow in Religion and Public Policy at Rice University's Baker Institute for Public Policy. He is the author of 16 books and approximately 100 other publications, including several award-winning works. His latest book, co-authored with Glenn Bracey, is due out with Oxford University Press in February of 2024, entitled The Religion of Whiteness, How Racism Distorts American Christianity. It is based on an in-depth, multi-year national study and funded by the Lilly Endowment. Okay, so what I did, take a brief sip of Angry Brew here. What I did is... Uh, there is a, a, a talk that uh, Dr. Emerson gave at the Evangelical Covenant Church's Midwinter Conference in 2022. My church plant, Mosaic Church in Grand Rapids, we are a part of the Evangelical Covenant denomination, and Midwinter is the big national conference that ECC does for all of their churches. And so a year and a half ago, Dr. Emerson gave a talk on he and Dr. Bracey's research. And he lays out the research itself in the first few minutes of the talk, and then he gets into the rest of, of the talk, and much of which is the content of the book. So what we've done is in the show notes of this episode of The Flip Side, there's a link on YouTube that will take you to the midwinter 2002 full talk of Dr. Emerson. I highly recommend that you check that out. What you're about to hear is the first nine minutes of that talk. So we're going to cut from me talking to the first nine minutes of Dr. Emerson's talk at Midwinter 2022. And in that nine minutes, he explains the research that he and Dr. Bracey and their team uh, did and, and what they came up with. And he just presents it very matter-of-factly. It's pretty dry, but listen to what the research is. And he he invites you, uh, I think prior to where, where I, what I included, uh, just to see the research on its own two legs as academic objective research, and then you can draw your own conclusions you know, later uh, to it. Uh, one quick thing that he mentions, and this is not in, in the part that you're about to listen to, the stats that you're going to hear are people uh, who say they are Christian, they say their faith is very important to them, and they attend church at least once a month. So, uh, Practicing white Christians. That's the that's the the research based name for the people that were that were asked, and those are the things that make up a practicing white Christian. They could be evangelical, mainline Protestant, Catholic, or non denominational. So, uh, really, really relevant stuff. 
attend church once a month. Their faith is very important to them, and they say that they are Christians. So we're going to cut to those uh, nine minutes of Dr. Emerson's talk, and then that will cut straight into my interview with Dr. Bracey and Dr. Emerson. And you are in uh, for a treat. Prepare yourself uh, to just be a learner. Prepare to listen. Uh, prepare to hear. I think research is so fascinating because research takes us behind the scenes of what people are really thinking, and it's done on a macro level scale. And so you get a lot of individuals' thoughts, and then you go, these are the trends in individuals' thoughts. And there's some really unique things that Drs. Bracey and Emerson uncover specifically about practicing white Christians that are unique to any other people group in the United States. And uh, so let's dive in. Here is uh, Dr. Emerson from Midwinter 2022, the Evangelical Covenants uh, National Conference. And then after that, we will jump into my interview uh, with Dr. Bracey and Dr. Emerson. So we did a national online survey. And one of the things that we asked people is, do you think that the Bible should be used to determine right or wrong? If they said yes, always, we then asked them a few questions about the Bible. In the system of laws that God gave the Israelites to follow, there were laws that protected foreigners from being treated unjustly. We listed the verse, Deuteronomy 24, 14, and then we just restate the verse. Therefore, it is good to have laws that protect foreigners from being treated unjustly. And we're trying to ask them, do you agree or not agree with this statement? In the Bible, the prophet Nehemiah confessed sins committed by himself, his nation, and his ancestors, Nehemiah 1.6. Therefore, it is good to do that. Basically, just restate the verse. We did four of these, so two more. The first Christians listened to the complaints of an ethnic minority group that was being treated unjustly and empowered leaders within that minority group to correct the injustice, right? Acts 6. Therefore, it is good, again, to do so. And then finally, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul taught that people should not use unwholesome words. Some of you, I've heard, don't take that literally. Uh, but we do restate, therefore it is bad to use unwholesome words. Notice that the first three questions have something to do with other groups or with confessing your own group's sin. That's why we selected them, and we also carefully selected the fourth one as a control. It has nothing to do with other groups. It has something to do with my own individual action. What did we find? Again now, here's this category of practicing Christians. For the first three questions, the majority of African American and Hispanics strongly agreed. That's what the Bible says. Only one third of white practicing Christians strongly agreed. What about for our control question? That's why it's important for us to have a control question. No difference. The majority of all Christians, no matter what racial group, agreed with the fourth question. You shouldn't use unwholesome words. This will be the most complicated data I'll show you because I'm using two things at once, but I need to show you the comparison. So, two questions and then I'm comparing them side by side. The first question is, Christians are now discriminated against in this country. They're the group experiencing the discrimination. And the second question is that we should have laws to protect immigrants from being treated unfairly. So you can see for black and Hispanic, they're basically around the same percent 
answers. Around half said, yes, Christians are discriminated against, and around half said, we should have laws that protect immigrants from being treated unfairly. Again, these are all practicing Christians I'm looking at. Asians a little bit different. Same about half say that, that, we should, uh, that we see Christians as being discriminated against, but just a third say that we should have laws to protect immigrants. And then if we look at white Christians, they're the most likely, about two thirds say Christians are the group that are being discriminated against, and just 22%, about one in five, say that we should have laws to protect immigrants. So when you look at the difference, black and Hispanic, they're almost equal across these two variables. Asian, there is a difference, and then there's a gigantic difference for white practicing Christians. We asked the question, the U.S. has been oppressive to minorities in the past. We're not talking about now, but in the past. What did practicing Christians say? 75% of African Americans agreed with this. Over 60% of Hispanic Christians. But 60% of white Christians did not agree that our country had ever oppressed minorities. The United States has a race problem. We asked this in late summer 2019, so think about when that context was. COVID wasn't here yet. We didn't have the long, hot summer of 2020 yet. 38% of white practicing Christians say we have a race problem at that point. 78% of black practicing Christians. We were able, after all the things that happened in 2020, to go back and redo the survey a year later, so late summer, early fall 2020. After, if you can recall, that was on the news all the time, it's on our social media, the marches and the protests. Here's what happened a year later. Whereas 38% in 2019 of white Christians thought there was a race problem, a year later, just 30%. Whereas for black practicing Christians, it went from 78% to 87%. So the gap got much larger during this just one year period. Now we'll come back to why this will be, but just want to put this in front of you. This is the only group, white practicing Christians, that actually saw a reduction in the percent of people saying there's a race problem now. Do you think that Asians or African Americans or Hispanics are treated less fairly in hiring, pay, promotions, housing, mortgages, and criminal justice? We didn't ask all of that one question. That's actually many questions, but we got the exact same result. So that's why I just put it all together as shorthand. Majority of Asians, African Americans, and Hispanics, whether Christian or not, agreed with these statements. Half of non-Christian whites agreed, but only one group stood alone, white practicing Christians, where two-thirds disagreed with all these statements. Do racial minorities use racism as an excuse for economic inequalities? The majority of all groups disagree, except one, white practicing Christians, where over 70% agree that's what's happening. Should people from minority groups work their way up without any special favors? Starting to sound like a broken record. The majority of all groups of color disagree with the statement. Half of non-Christian whites agree, half disagree, but over two-thirds of white practicing Christians agree. Generations of slavery and discrimination have created conditions that make it difficult for African Americans to work their way out of the lower class. Majority of all groups, including non-Christian whites, agree. Except one group again, white practicing Christians, where 60% disagree. 
For only one group does the majority believe that the American way of life needs protecting from foreign influences, white practicing Christians. For only one group does the majority believe that we should have stricter limits on the number of legal immigrants, white practicing Christians. And for only one group does the majority believe that some cultures are inherently better or have better morals than other cultures. And that's white practicing Christians. Only one Christian group does not believe that race relations can be improved by teaching about them in our churches. White practicing Christians, two thirds of white practicing Christians say that is not the answer. So what is the answer? Well, only one group believes that the answer is to convert people to Christianity, white practicing Christians. Unlike any other group where there are no differences, White practicing Christians are twice as likely than other white Americans to say that being white is extremely important to them, to how they think about themselves, and they're twice as likely to say that they often feel the need to defend their racial group. Uh, created this uh, racial prejudice index, it's got 15 different questions such as, I'm fearful of other races, the highest scoring group by far, not even close, white practicing Christians. Importantly, this and everything I've just shown you is not explained away by political affiliation. Oh, white practicing Christians are more likely to be Republican, for example. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's not explained by, by where they live in the country or by their age, by their education, by their income, their gender, or any other factors that we could look at. Only one thing stood out. Religious affiliation is what matters. So what's going on? All right, this is what we're working on, and so try to follow me and give me a little grace here. We're arguing in this book that two-thirds of white practicing Christians are not following Christianity. They're following a different religion, and we're calling it the religion of whiteness. Okay. All right, Drs. Glenn Bracey and Dr. Michael Emerson, we are so glad to have you guys on the flip side. Thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Yeah, likewise. All right, so uh, we've talked about this, but our listeners just listened to about a 10-minute clip uh, from a talk, Michael, that you did about a year and a half ago at uh, the Evangelical Covenant uh, my denominations uh, midwinter. I was not able to be there in person. I had just joined the covenant, uh, but I I was uh, caught up on the uh, the recording of it. And I got to say, um, you know, as listener, I don't know as we jump into this interview what listeners are thinking right now as they heard as they heard your findings. Uh, for for me, the the findings. Um, while I guess I shouldn't be surprised, I was surprised. I was surprised by how. Um, consistently white practicing Christians um, answered certain questions, uh, questions about, uh, about race and uh, their answers being different than Christians of color and even different than non-Christian whites. And so I guess I'll just maybe start there. Um, were, were you guys surprised uh, by anything from your research 
uh, and or if I could ask, what's your emotional, what's each of your emotional uh, response, uh, if that's the right word, just your human, you know, what, how are you feeling uh, as you as you sift through uh, this research that you guys have been doing? Hmm. Well, I'll start and then uh, let, let Glenn. So hello, everybody. Um, it's hard to say, like, I, I guess it would be like what your reaction was, Noah, like, uh, I suppose, theoretically, this is kind of what we expected, but it's still so disappointing to find the consistent pattern. And I think what surprised me was how I've been studying for 25 years now, this kind of effect, but it's gotten larger. And that's partly why we had this started as a study to kind of redo divided by faith study, see if anything had changed. Well, it had changed. It's gotten worse. Mm. And so that's the issue is trying to figure out why, what is really going on feeling, uh, I guess really just uh, sadness. Um, we're supposed to be a Christian family and we're hurting each other pretty severely as, as, as we discovered. So I'll turn over to Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll actually start where Michael left off. Uh, it was, it, it is, it is sad, frankly, to hear how the church continues to struggle with this issue. It's, it's sad from a personal standpoint, because I, like so many other Christians of color, have invested a lot of time and energy and heart into trying to make the church the the Christian family that it says it wants to be and that the scripture calls us to be. And the the pain of the of the rejection and then seeing it play out over and over and over again in um, you know, in the interviews that we did, but also knowing that it's playing out all over the country through the survey that we did is just, it's heartbreaking, for mm -hmm. lack of a better word. It's yeah. just, it's it's really heartbreaking. Um, so, you know, we're hopeful that people will hear the findings and and hear what we, you know, the argument that we make in the book and, um, and see new ways forward. But uh, as it stands, it is it is very disappointing. Mm. Yeah, and if I, if I could just add, Noah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, through the project and before Glenn and I become pretty close friends, and the really difficult thing was watching Glenn have to suffer through this because he did all the interviews for us when we started the project. So there he is for hours at a time, hearing this over and over. I could see it like physically affect him. Right, Glenn, you had talked about yes. Yes. really deeply impacted because he feels it at a whole severe level and that really translated into just the i get the drive to write the book and to be as honest as possible even though we know there'll be lots and lots of pushback yeah 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 man i uh i feel i feel that from both of you you know glenn i can feel that you know through it's um as you guys were talking it, it just reminded me one of how many so I'm 40 and I guess I'm on the latter end of the millennial generation and, you know, post, I think during 2020, uh, while our nation is in, uh, you know, public racial upheaval, uh, it, where it's, it's hitting the press in, in a way uh, that's pretty unique to, um, to my generation. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of millennials and Gen Z that are leaving the church because uh, leaving the white church because the white church isn't 
dealing with race and racial justice. And I think that's important to point out. And uh, I, I, I've got to think that looking at your findings, uh, it just cements the reason. I think a lot of times white churches wonder, why don't black people want to come to our churches? And uh, it, it just cements why, uh, why, 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 if, if I were black, uh, would I come to a, a white church who, um, I, I guess I've always thought, and again, I'm singing this as like a white pastor who's trying to create a multi-ethnic church, but to create, a, a, you have a church, you have white churches that are not intentional about creating community where a black Christian can tell the truth, tell, tell the truth about their life, about their actual life. So we talk about community and we talk about um, supporting one another. And and yet I could say we, the, the white church, um, statistically now, more often than not, is is denying the, uh, the experiences of people of color and just saying, your experience isn't valid. Your experience isn't, isn't true. Uh, those are some reflections I have that maybe even some listeners. So my, my listeners, um, I think for some will be really on board with this. And I think for others, there, there's going to, it's going to be a struggle for them. And I want to, I, I, I thought it might be helpful for them to hear that, that like, this is what's happening in the church because of, because of these, because of these stats. I don't know if you guys have any, that's just me, uh, you know, kind of giving some reflection, but do you guys have any thoughts on that? Or have you seen that, um, you know, as, as you've, uh, as you've been watching these churches or even Christians, you know, in your own lives? Well, I think it's difficult because two things are happening and I think it's, it's helpful to separate them at some level. One is the white church is denying our experience as you described it. Right. So, um, you know, we found in the data, uh, something like one in seven um, white Christians simply refuse that racial inequalities exist in the first place, right? So, you know, denying the reality that we live with or the the finding that you referenced about um, going from 2019 to 2020 and finding that the number of white uh, Christians who uh, definitely saw a race problem declined uh, from 19, from 2019 to 2020, despite all the stuff that was in the news and, um, you know, the upheaval that was taking place. So there's the denial of our experience that's happening on the first place. But then what's, what's equally insidious, I think, or even more insidious, is the denial of our access to God to mm-hmm. work with us in those moments, right? It's that not only are they denying our, our our lived human experience, but we come to church in part because we need God to help us in our lives, to help us through the things that we're facing. And when you deny that we're even facing those things, and then deny, uh, and then for, for fail to preach about you know what what God is doing to address these particular issues. You're not just denying us access to our our lived experience, but you're denying us access to a big part of God's service in our lives, and that's that's a that's a spiritual harm on top of the betrayal that mm. needs more attention. Mm. Hmm. See the depth of that, yeah. And, and when we're talking to white Christians, just over and over, all they're they're just denying, 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 making light of it's in the past it never was a big deal if it's a big deal it's reverse discrimination against us you know white folks in general talk like this but why would christian white folks 
talk yeah. more like yeah. this than do other white folks. That's what we've been wrestling with and what the book is about. We opened the book with a couple of stories. And one of those stories is of an African-American young lady who's attending a, a, a primarily white church, but is trying to be multiracial. And she's sharing exactly those experiences mm. that Glenn just shared. And what it meant for her was she basically walked away from the faith. She got yeah. so injured from it all. And that yeah. is dangerous. And I should add that to those two groups I mentioned, white people leaving the church. I think there's black and Latina, Latino Christians that are like, I want nothing to do with the white church ever. But then you also have black and Latina, Latino and other Christians of color that are also leaving the church because they're seeing white Christianity as the normalized Christianity in our country. And that they're saying, if that's what Christianity is, then I, I'm not Christian. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And so the ramifications of this are huge. And I say that too, the irony of this is I know this was a, a back to divided by faith in your research there. And man, I have I seen this played out time and time again in the white churches uh, in my life, where the irony is one of the reasons white churches, and you guys know this, but for listeners, um, one of the reasons white churches aren't talking about racial justice, truth about racism, systemic racism, is they say it's because of evangelism. So so we want to just preach the gospel. We don't want to get into social issues. We want to just preach the gospel. And, you know, we, you mentioned Billy Graham, uh, and he was doing the same thing in the early part of his ministry back, you know, divided by faith. And and that's why white churches and pastors didn't get involved in the civil rights movement because they wanted to just preach the gospel. And so if you have this like racist white person who's not a Christian show up at your church, you certainly can't be talking about civil rights that day because they'll never come to know Jesus, right? That's kind of the mindset. So we're just going to preach, quote unquote, you know, the gospel. So it's I say that as an ir irony that now we have these these groups of people leaving the church, leaving Christianity, leaving their faith. Yeah. Um which is the opposite of evangelism, uh, because <laughs> because churches haven't white churches haven't been willing uh, to talk about these things, and that is, whew, that's sobering. It's tragedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's and like you say, the the fact that churches who've made that decision, white churches who've made that decision, are standing in in the a popular imagination as the church yes. as the authoritative church yeah um leads to so much damage and that's one of the things i think i would like to see uh challenged is that you know that our popular imagination around what the church is um becomes more inclusive of the things that we've been talking about becomes more racially inclusive at minimum and uh and so that people have a different imagination and, and can say, I choose against these churches that are uh, excising the gospel and for a, a fuller um, a fuller teaching. Yeah. Glenn, can you unpack that word? It just kind of went over my head. Did you say excising the gospel? Yes. Uh, well, what, I mean? what, I, what I mean is just uh, like shortening the gospel yeah. <laughs> um, in, in a way of, uh, of, not uh, like I was saying earlier, not letting God be fully God in yeah. all the circumstances of our lives, yeah. but instead shortening God to um, just the, the, you know, trust and believe message, um, you know, as though God doesn't attend to the rest of our, our humanity. Yeah, thanks.
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I see that as a pastor, I see all this stuff is in scripture and you guys, you know, your, your intro of, of your, your talk, Michael, that we played, you ask those questions about scripture, about foreigners and scripture about immigrants and, and the uh, practicing white Christians are like, yeah, we don't care about those scriptures <laughs> pretty much. And it's, it's just, it's, uh, I don't know if irony is even the right word. I feel like there's a heavier, like deeper word than that, but um, and and help me out if there is, but it, it's there's an irony there where it's the white evangelical church is the one saying we believe the Bible, 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 and yet we're ignoring these whole parts of Scripture about justice and about God's heart for justice and the mandate for justice, and you see it in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we have boiled down the gospel right to this really truncated, you know, believe believe and go to heaven sort of thing, as if following Jesus doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> it's not about mm-hmm. following Jesus. It's not about the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring here. And uh, yeah, so again, some of that I'm saying to help listeners understand theologically the problem that you can't just say we're just preaching the gospel because the gospel is the good news of Jesus. That's what gospel means. And good news of Jesus covers the whole gamut of scripture. Uh, and even the very teachings of Jesus, even if you just read those, Oh man, the church would look very different, you know, than it than it currently does. Uh, Chris, uh, Pastor Chris Williamson, who's pastor of uh, Strong Tower Bible Church in Nashville, wrote a book uh, on the kingdom of God, and that's really really pointing out. Yes, Jesus talks about salvation, but talks many many times more about the kingdom of God. So. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, I grew up in, when I grew up in white churches too, did, we didn't talk about the kingdom of God. We got the salvation message basically every yeah. Sunday. And yeah, we've really constricted. And and there's a reason. And, and Glenn will be the first one to tell you this. Why? Because anything else would actually threaten the place mm-hmm. of the racial hierarchy that we have and that white Christians, sadly, we're going to argue two-thirds of them, are the leading edge of preserving the racial order, the racial inequality that we have. Glenn, do you want to add to that? I have, I'm going to follow up with a question, but I want to give you a chance if you want to, if you want to add. Yeah, anything. no, I, I, I mean, Michael said it very well, um, you know, and, and there is a general, the difficulty, I think, is that there's a general failure to recognize the difference between upholding the racial hierarchy and practicing Christianity as they've uh, understood it and been taught. So there's uh, there's several ways that um, what is white gets conflated with what is Christian. And then so that supporting whiteness becomes um, spiritualized, becomes religiousized uh, to the point of, like I said, and and an unwillingness slash inability to be able to tell the difference between um, supporting white supremacy, as it were, and supporting uh, Christianity. So thank you. Uh, So my next question has to do with where does this come from? And so I want to read one of the statistics, uh, Michael, from your talk that listeners have already heard, because what stood out to me was the difference between non-Christian whites and white practicing Christians. So the, the and there were several of these questions, but w- one of them with the question on if minorities have been treated less fairly in hiring, pay, promotions, 
housing and mortgages and the criminal justice system, half of non-Christian whites agreed with that, saying, yes, um, minorities have been traded unfairly. And two-thirds of white practicing Christians disagreed. They would say minorities have not been treated unfairly. And I have to pause there, guys. You guys, first of all, are angels and saints because I have to like bite my finger really hard to not just go on a rant about these things. And so the fact that you can tackle these with grace, uh, I commend you and and please continue that because I know that's how people will hear it. Uh, but it's crazy because you read any book, like just pick up any book that's about racial justice facts about our history. Read any I mean, it's not even, I can't say history book because history, like the, I never learned this stuff in school growing up, yeah. uh, but you just learn, go learn about redlining. Like that's like the easiest thing to me. Like just Google redlining, read the Wikipedia on it and you go, oh, huh. Like this was actually created by laws. This was very systemic, you know, and there's way more than just redlining, but it's, um, by the way, I'm reading, I'm, listening, I have to be honest, I'm listening to a book right now um, called When Crack Was King. And it's a it's a new book. And I just heard about it on the radio and I'm listening to it. And it's just, it's, uh, it's just rehashing all that I don't know about, about the, um, the unfairness, the, the, the unfairness to minorities less fairly in all of these ways. And it's just, so, so the fact that two thirds of white practicing Christians hear those facts about our history and they say they disagree that that's true i don't i don't really know i mean i i hear about people that say the holocaust didn't happen and i kind of go how could you possibly say the holocaust didn't happen it feels similar to me it feels similar but it's two-thirds of my religion like two-thirds of white practicing christians or at least of my ethnic you know my skin color of my people that believe and people that say they they profess jesus Versus half of non-Christian whites, uh, people that don't believe in Jesus, people that don't have the Bible we have that talks about justice and talks about the kingdom, they they agree that minorities have been treated unfairly. So it leads me to my question: Where did this come from within the church? And and one thing I was surprised about in your research, uh, Michael, in your talk, you said it wasn't based on politics if somebody was a republican or a democrat that surprised me because i always thought this all comes from fox news like fox news just kind of like pumps this propaganda to people and i don't watch fox news i've never really had cable i kind of just keep an arm's distance from all that but i've i've see their articles and i've i watched it for like 15 seconds in a hotel room and i was like oh my goodness it's true <laughs> what they say um I just, that's like Republican news. I just thought that's where these people are getting this from. But you found it didn't, it was the, that, that, that politics wasn't the thing that made people think this way. It was being a white practicing Christian. And so, so anyway, that's wrapping up into a, a question. How, where does this come from within the church? Is it simply an absence of teaching on racial justice? Like we just won't talk about it. So this is what happens as a result. Or are there other things happening that creates that creates these viewpoints that so many white practicing Christians are holding. Yeah. Glenn, do you want to go first? Do you want to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was thinking you would go first and then I would go uh, after, but if you want me to go first, I can. Yeah, go okay. ahead. Okay. So, you know, this has very long legs um, and very deep roots. So, um, you know, 
it's for this is difficult but you know most people think of race as a natural phenomenon but race is not natural race is something we call in sociology socially constructed meaning um, it's not biologically real it's not genetically real it's not phenotypically real it is um it is something that people created these categories and assign people to these categories and then treat them according to those categories. And that's what makes it socially uh, effective, even though it's not like biologically real. I start there to say part of the definition of white, like when people decided what white meant, it wasn't just about skin color. It was also about a particular relationship to Christianity. So the relationship between race and Christianity is as deep and as old as the very definition of race or the creation of race itself. So defending whiteness or tying whiteness to Christianity and then defending whiteness and Christianity is, you know, a 500 year old, you know, mm. uh, project. So we can, we can start there. And then, you know, one of the things I appreciated in um, uh, Robert Jones's book, White Too Long, is, you know, tracing how people worked to in, ingrain those things, that, that connection into schools, ingrained it into history, ingrained it into you know, the indoctrination of children so that people believe very firmly through not just the church, um, but also because of what they learned in school and also what they learned through their grandparents and you know, all these sorts of things, that um, white, is, white is Christian, Christian is white, and uh and it's a and it's a defensive kind of whiteness it's a um it's a, a it's an a, a not a defensive excuse me it's a it's a it's an aggressive kind of whiteness that believes that white should have uh should rightly have by god's own decree basically um better resources than everyone else so so where does it come from you know it comes from those things and then what's disturbing to me is to watch as people try to challenge those roots and challenge that history the way that the church is organizing to stop that so you see in the church and one thing that we point out in the book is long before you know years before um you know fox news took up the anti-critical race theory mentor um the church was organizing against critical race theory um, not because critical race theory, I mean, you know, they'll say because critical race theory is Marxist and these sorts of things, and that those things aren't true, but, uh, but because it challenged this notion that A, the country had advanced to a place where race was no longer significant, and uh, a big part of what a lot of white Christians want to believe is that race is no longer significant, that we've passed the point of, um, of having to deal with racial inequality. Uh, and another thing is that it challenges this particular um, whitewashed history. And a lot of people do not want to let go of that whitewashed history. Mm. So, you know, when you talk about ignorance, it's not just an ignorance that is a failure to have taught these things. That's part of it. It's also an ignorance that is a refusal to know these things, even when there's an opportunity to know them. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I want to shout out Jennifer Mueller for uh, her work on epistemological ignorance in, in that area. If you're curious mm -hmm. about the argument there. I was just talking with some couple professors yesterday, and I'm now in um, a southern state, uh, having moved from Chicago recently. And uh, the irony, the irony of is uh, in this denial of the past, 
the denial and the pushback against things like critical race theory, wokeness, which become most people don't know what they are, but they just know they're supposed to be bad and we must mm. resist them. That critical race theory itself it actually argues that white folks in their power will use the law to maintain their power. Mm. And and the way that the pushback is happening right now is that they're using the law to maintain their power. They're passing laws across state after state that says you will not teach critical race theory. You will not teach uh, 1619 Project. You will not teach certain history uh, of things that happened. I know that in the current state I'm in, they actually define what percent of things said about the United States in the past can be negative. And it's a very tiny percent. Wow. Uh, and I, the professor I was talking to was actually fearing losing his job because he had designed a, a, a product that would be used to teach classes in the high schools, and it did use some critical race theory, and he was being attacked. Uh, so he has to take it out. He's not allowed to use it. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw that not just in the context that Michael's talking about, but in the interviews where people were saying, not that they were using critical race theory in seminaries, but you know, like like people who were working in Christian organizations who were like, let's teach an accurate history, were getting pushback from the leadership of their Christian schools and, and other organizations. It was uh it was such a patterned thing that it it we can understand it as characteristic of these white Christian institutions. Yeah, it's very disturbing. And we, we devote um, much of a whole chapter to uh, what we call the non-row or the white Christians who don't bow to this other faith that we haven't talked much about, but we will get to it, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the consequences. And in the consequence in every case, whether they were pastors, seminary, profs, whatever, they all lost their jobs. But it went beyond that. They lost their entire social networks. They were That's shunned. Right. They were simply ceased not allowed to exist and basically all of them had to leave the cities they lived in and try to restart their lives mm. and it, it, it's just painful mm. for for my listeners uh if critical race theory is a new concept just a heads up uh you can go back to episode 52 of this feed of the flip side and uh pastor chase stancil and i we we break down what critical race theory is and and talk through that that's episode 57 uh, you can check that out. So let's jump into the religion of whiteness, because um, Michael, you know, I think at the end of the 10 minute clip, so I did a 10 minute clip of your findings. And then at the very end uh, is when you you uh, you you talked about the um, uh, I don't think you I, I didn't talk about the totems yet. The totems are in the part that are not included in this episode. If listeners want to go, the YouTube link will be in the show notes. They can listen to the whole talk. Um, but you you mentioned uh, there's a dis different religion. So this this is uh, actually what we found is it's not the religion of Jesus. It's the religion of whiteness. And then um, the crowd at midwinter clapped and you laughed. And, uh, and I, I was like, yeah, good for them for clapping for that. So um, so why don't we jump into that? Because I think that is a very uh, provocative um challenging you know some will say what this is not a diff this is not a religion of whiteness you know but uh let, let me just open that up to you guys and explain what that means uh how you came to that conclusion and then uh you know we can kind of go from there i'll be real brief and then glenn uh fill in so all right uh so the in trying to struggle through and explain what what is going on here why would this be a particularly why are white 
Christians seemingly even different than other whites. Uh, in Divided by Faith, we go a ways, but Glenn actually challenged and said, okay, you talk about these things called uh, religio-cultural tools, and they kind of lead to this difference that you find. But, but why do they have those cultural tools? How convenient that they just happen to have those. <laughs> this is one of the, in our very first conversation, this is what Glenn said to me. And, and so we're taking it further and saying, because there is this other religion, this religion of whiteness, which distorts Christianity as, as practiced in many white congregations. And I do want to be clear, there is a third, it seems, that do not practice this. So we are not saying everybody. But if we talk about whiteness, just define it pretty simply as uh, white folks and their dominance. Now, other people can buy into this too, right? It doesn't have to just be white people, but it's white dominance that you'd be buying into. So we define the religion of whiteness this way, and we're really just taking a classic definition and applying it. So it's a unified system of beliefs and practices. All religions have beliefs and practices. and does what it, it venerates or it worships uh it sacralizes whiteness this 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 the whole sense of dominance in the right place and where we should be compared to others and that whiteness is universal and at the same time it declares everything else profane it's 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 wrong right we do the same in any religion certain things are sacred and certain things are profane and mm. We're trying to focus on the sacred and avoid the profane. Well, that's what happens in this religion as well. And that's why go to such immense lengths to defend it, protect it, put it into law when needed, um, hurt people along the way because it feels justified because they're trying to attack the religion to which so many people are subscribing to. Yeah, and then you see the weaponization of the church, you know, in the form of the church as a teaching instrument, the form of the church as an, organiz an organization that uh, collects people, mobilizes people politically, those sorts of things, this, the, the church as a social network that is critical in people's lives. And you see them uh, through the processes that Michael was talking about earlier in terms of oftentimes expulsion or criticism first and then um, expulsion um, enforce the the domination or the the worship of the domination of whiteness. So you know the signing off on the universality of whiteness, signing off on things that we agree not to talk about in the church. Um, you know, signing off on who gets sanctioned and how, those sorts of things um, reinforce the whiteness of the community and turn, like I say, turn the church from a place that is um, nurturing for, you know, everybody into a place that is weaponized in defense of whiteness from the sermons through the through the community organizations, through, uh, you know, all, all those things. It's, it, it becomes... It becomes a project separate from the good news of Jesus that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Now, if a listener says, look, guys, we don't weaponize, you know, whiteness. We might we we never talk about racial injustice like we we're, we're not going to talk about these things, um, but we don't go up there and talk about how great whiteness is. You know, we're not we're not we're not saying that from the stage or from any of our programs. 
What's your response to that? Well, that's part of the, well, there's two things. One, um, there, that's part of the normality of whiteness, right? That uh, people can say, well, we're just doing what is normal or what is um, appropriate, what is Christian, all those sorts of things. And ignoring that the work of leaving out God's interest in racial justice is itself doing race work, right? So, you know, when they say we're not talking about whiteness, um, the the failure to talk about challenges to, to inequality is a form of talking about whiteness. So we can we can start there. The other is that there are challenges that come up. Like Michael said, a third of white practicing Christians are not following this religion of whiteness. You know, the great majority of people of color are not following this religion of whiteness. So when they come into the church or, you know, like that, that, that contingent and they say, hey, you know, like there's protests around George Floyd happening or Ahmed Arbery or, you know, whoever we want to talk about, um, or, you know, this particular thing is happening in my personal life, you know, whatever. Then there's a uh, there's a, an action on the part of the church to uh, of the of the people who practice the religion of whiteness to silence those um, those statements to silence those critiques sometimes in a in a quote unquote loving way you know like let's not be divisive um, mm -hmm. you know let's focus on the gospel those sorts of things and sometimes in a more aggressive way uh, you know that's not what we do here um, this isn't the place for you you know, those sorts of things. So, you know, it's happening, you know, it's happening on two fronts. One, they're doing race work by not talking about race. And second, when race does come up, which it does, they do race work by silencing those mm. conversations. Yeah. And the key there, notice, is the incredible coup that being white is being human. And everything else is being ethnic. I was just in the grocery store and there's a whole aisle that says ethnic food. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. That mean, right. So you don't ever, ever have to talk about being white, whiteness or anything. And that's why mm. you get really offended as a white person if it's ever brought up because you're just a human. Wow. All right. And, and once you can establish that, and that has been established worldwide, then and that's what true dominance is that you get to declare yourself the universal and everybody else then has to figure out how to relate to that wow that ethnic food aisle is a really good example right because so because and you guys write about this uh as well but you know you think about theology is the same way you know we, we just call it theology and then there's black theology and or there's right. liberation theology but really it's white theology and if you were to call it that you know you'd get some looks, you know, um, we're going to learn white theology today, everybody. <laughs> you can't do uh, you it. <laughs> know? Um, but the man, think about the grocery store. If, if they had like, here's the white food section, you know, <laughs> but, but wow. Right. When you would label other, the other things are these ethnic, you know, things that, that, so that's just, that's a really profound, um, metaphor to the, to that normalization of it. Um, I want to talk more about that, but I can't, cause I got like, several really good questions that I need to get to before we run out of time. So um, this is my, me as podcast host, like too way too many good questions because you guys have, this is awesome. So, all right, let me, let me ask. Um, I got, I got, I want to ask you about white Christian nationalism, but I'm going to, I'm going to do that one next. So first I want to ask you, so you're, you're, you've said 
there's this religion of whiteness, and it's actually different than the religion of Jesus or the religion of Christianity. And you name these totems of, of why that is. And again, you can get into it now if you want, or it's just save time. Re listeners can can watch that YouTube, the full link that's that's in the bio or read the book. Um, but a couple, a couple of questions came up to me out of that, because you talked about we can, I don't know if you use the word convert or not, Michael, in your talk, but this essentially this idea that like we have this, you said we have this mission field and this mission field is to convert these folks that are following the religion of whiteness, you know, back to the, the religion of Jesus. And so my first question is, I, I can tell you, uh, and I'm not saying it's a bad question, but I can see many listeners uh, saying, well, whoa, 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 slow down. To become a Christian, you have to believe in the gospel. It's not by works you're saved. It's by believing in the gospel. And the gospel is... Um, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I've asked him to forgive me of my sins. And usually we just kind of end it there. Uh, sometimes someone might add, which would be very biblical to add, and we make him the Lord of our life. And, uh, you know, we, we like to stop at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I guess I'm answering my own question here. We don't like to go to verse 10 about the good works he's prepared in advance for us to do, or verses 11 and on about the whole dividing walls of hostility and all those things. But let me go back to my question. Um, but the gospel is you believe in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and that makes you a Christian. So like, how dare you guys say that those people aren't Christians? And again, I don't want to be, I don't want to be sarcastic about that question. I think that's a valid question that I thought of as you're, as you're listening to your talk. I'm like, you know, so, so what is your, uh, what, what would your response be to that critique? Well, I'll go, go ahead, first. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's, um, I know that God has mercy on all of us and we all fall very, very short. When we're part of a project that really is at its base, destroying others, mm. those who are trying to follow Jesus, we got to ask, <laughs> where are we really? I mean, there, I guess we could say, uh, in, in the book form, by the way, we, We've been asked by the publisher to tone it down a little bit and to say so it's uh call it a distortion or uh, uh it can be a competing religion but one that's kind of been absorbed into many christian practices so for me it's like this it's right now many people are trying to both worship god the creator and worship baal and and the Bible's pretty clear you can't do that. It's just never acceptable. So at its base, that's what we're asking is we got to root that out. We have an intruder that doesn't belong here. And that intruder is harming. It is harmful. It's harmful for each person practicing it. And it is harmful for all of those in our community. So however you want to look at it, it's got to be excise to use Glenn's word. <laughs> yeah, I, I I really appreciate what Michael's saying there because, you know, the when you talk about how the religion of whiteness harms its followers, you know, you go to those places where it makes it difficult, near impossible for them to accept the whole of the scripture, right? Like in the example that you were mm -hmm. giving just now, Noah, like, you know, you end up cutting down the scripture mm -hmm. from all of Ephesians 2 to just two verses, right? And in that, you're losing, you know, you're losing the teaching of the faith um, because you're so dedicated to seeing, you know, preaching a gospel that in the case that that 
that you're laying out and and I write about in other places. Um, teaching a gospel that stops at just the salvation message is not the entirety of the good news. And um, and the the teaching a gospel that stops at the salvation message is purposeful because it prevents having to address all these other issues that we're talking about, right? So it's a um, it's a limitation on or it's a and, a and a failure to see the full project that God has involved for us, and uh, and in that way, it's a it prevents you from practicing the fullness of the faith and enjoying the fullness of God. That, that you know, I, if I could, if I could get across um, those, the way that that is a harm, the way that you're limiting your relationship to God is a real harm to you spiritually. Uh, I, I, I would do whatever I could to get that across to people who are following the religion of whiteness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I always, what really resonates with me is when Jesus says, "If you love me, obey my commands." He mm-hmm. actually ties love to obedience, and so. That's one of the things I've always been puzzled by in the church. Why don't we spend all kinds of time trying to understand Jesus' commands then? Because we are commanded, we know at the base, to love Jesus at its root. But I, I need to know what that means, the commands. And we'll find that his commands are, are more than uh, accept me, right? That's right. There's more to it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And And you could even say, or if you were to say accept me, the word accept means a whole lot more than some, you know, cognitive sort of, okay, you know, check that box, you know, uh, this very, even, uh, oh, where's the phrase? I think it was Bonhoeffer about cheap grace, you know, the idea of cheap grace. Am I getting that right? Is that Bonhoeffer, you know? And I I mean, so, so that goes back and, and he certainly was fighting a battle for justice, you know, as well with, uh, Mm -hmm. the Jews and the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And just this idea of cheap grace is not, it's not the gospel. It's not what Jesus you know, it's not what Jesus came to bring. Jesus was about following. He tells, he goes with disciples. He's like, follow me. And that's what discipleship is. We're like, okay, you're going to, I'm going to follow in your steps. You know, I'm going to eat the way you eat. I'm going to treat people the way you treat people. I'm going to associate with people you associate with. And I think we've just lost that sense of followership and of discipleship of that's, that's what it means to be a Christian, to be a little Christ. So, so yeah, I think that's really helpful. Um, Thank you guys. Let's talk about white Christian nationalism, because I think that can be a buzzword. Um, I think some people hear that they don't know what it is. They might think, well, I'm not that. Um, and, and is that what the religion of whiteness is, you know, too? Can you guys jump into a little bit of or a lot of it of just what is white Christian nationalism and how does that connect to the research that you guys are doing? Yeah. Glenn, I can I'm happy to do the second part if you want to do the first part. of. OK, OK. Yeah. All right. So white Christian nationalism is the notion that. Um, the country is uh, set apart to be, well, it's the, it's the uniting, I, I forget the exact language, I'm trying to remember the quote, but let me, let me just paraphrase. Um, it's the uniting of uh, the American project with, uh, with a Christian identity, so that there's this notion that the United States is set apart for, uh, as a Christian nation, as a particular kind of Christian nation, a Protestant Christian nation, an evangelical nation, uh, a, a white Christian nation. And um, and people who subscribe to that generally have a whole lot of other associations relative to race that are um, frequently disturbing. So um, they tend to believe uh, or tend to be more likely to believe, I should say, 
um, that there shouldn't be interracial marriage. They tend to have um, beliefs that people who are who are assaulted by police, um, people of color who are assaulted by police, are deserve to be um, uh, assaulted in that way. Uh, there's a whole series of, of correlations that go with that. How that fits into what we talk about? Well, Michael, I, you said you would go second, so let me let me let you jump in, and then I'll uh, continue with. Sure. Yeah. The oddity of white Christian nationalism is as people are the scholars that are studying it are finding uh, you don't have to be a Christian. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are Jewish folks who uh, proclaim this uh, because it's this a particular way uh, of, of. So here's the difference. People are often patriots for their country. They, they believe in their country. They support their country. What's different about Christian nationalism is it's an idea that it's only for some. It's not for everybody in this uh, country. It's for a select few, and then the job is to push everybody else out or keep them down. For us in the religion of whiteness, they are not the same. Uh, white nationalism is a one of the uh, six beliefs of the religion of whiteness. So the religion of whiteness is like the umbrella, uh, one offshoot or whatever barb or whatever that would be is is this idea of white nationalism but there's also things like god is on the side of the dominant group which is another belief in this religion a fair bit different than i think what the bible actually teaches but Mm. yeah glenn did you want to jump back in on anything on that uh no no there's i mean there's other beliefs but we'll we'll go on so um how would somebody know? Um, let me think. Um, let me actually, let me, I might come back to white Christian nationalism just for a minute, but I want to ask you a question before I forget about it. I have a friend. Um, I'm not sure if he'd be listening or not. He's black, a uh, very strong Christian. And he'll often, he's, we're good, really good friends. And, and he'll often, um, I think usually it's appropriate. Sometimes it's not. He'll, he'll jump in and say, as long as you're not saying it's bad to be white, you know, as we have these conversations, as long as you're not saying it's bad to be white. I only mention that he's black because I feel like um, a lot of white people ask that question. And, and, and when we do, when they do, it's easy to kind of pigeonhole them of why you're asking that. Um, and I probably do that as well. So, so I, I, I say that to give it maybe a little more objectivity um, is, and I could see listeners seeing the title of this podcast and, you know, hearing what they've heard so far and just say, Oh, great. This is you're just saying it's bad to be white. And as you guys have said in this, uh, oh, it's not a conversation. You know, we're just so polarized as a country. And so we we dig our heels in. And that's the shocking stat from um, Michael. You mentioned this in your talk the in the clip I share where uh, you have the 2019 stat. And it was in like the upper 30s of, of practicing white Christians said there's no race problem. You have George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. You have all these, you know, um, the protests. And that that number goes to 30% of what practicing Christians Yeah, who say said there a, is a race, a race problem. problem, right? That's yeah, it. That, so I must, might have said that wrong. Yeah, yeah. that said there is a race problem. So basically 70%, 70% of white practicing Christians are saying there's no race problem, even though our whole country is saying, right, there, there is um, – you know, there is a race problem. My my point to mentioning all that is you, you you made a comment on how people just dig in their heels, like when when they the reason that that shifted is because when they see evidence to the contrary, there's just something about our psyche that it's like too little. It's like when me and my brother argued growing up, 
he was wrong no matter what. <laughs> but, you know, my parents are like, you know, admit you did something wrong. No, like Pete did all of it, 100% of it. And it doesn't matter what you say. Like, I'm right, he's wrong. This is like childhood, right? This is how we often talk about these things. So it's easy for a, a white person to just go, oh, you're just saying it's bad to be white. More people saying it's bad to be white. And then can flip that switch into reverse racism. You're discriminating against whiteness, uh, those sorts of things. And I like to bring that up because I really want people to hear what you're saying. And you're not saying that it's bad to be white. Uh, so can you guys just kind of unpack that a little bit to help listeners kind of get over that if that's something they're struggling with, um, you know, to, to be able to get around, to, to be able to get over that? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely not saying that it's bad to be white. Um, what we're saying is the worship of the power and dominance of, of whiteness is a problem, right? Um, that seeing, um, believing that whites are the definition of humanity, that white is the universal, that God has um, empowered and resourced white people better than other people, that that's what justice is, all of those sorts of things, that that God is lined up behind the domination of white people over the earth and the other people in it. That is the problem. And, um, and so I really want to emphasize it's the relationship to power that we're talking about here and that white dominance. And I also want to emphasize that one third of practicing white Christians do not seem to subscribe to that. So, you know, we're, we're definitely not saying that, you know, there's a problem that, that being classified as white not just automatically makes you evil, right? Or, or, or even a subscriber to the religion of whiteness. Uh, you can reject the power relationship between whiteness and uh, between being classified as white and, uh, and domination and be, a, a, be classified as a white person, but not be engaged in that that pursuit of domination, not be engaged in reading the scripture as legitimating that domination. Um, so there's a there's a stark difference between saying white white people are bad and saying like uh, the pursuit of white domination is bad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Now, and you'll know if if you are rejecting that power because you will feel isolated you will feel shunned you will mm. see hurt of other people that you didn't see before if you're able to go through your days and say that race doesn't much matter or things are pretty good or we all get along fine as far as i can tell then then you're walking in that that dominance even though you don't know it and that's, that's good that's yeah it's it's given to you automatically as a white person you literally have to you have to have a, a a point of rejection. It's like it's just like accepting Christ. You have to have that moment where you say yes to it. In this case, you're saying no to it. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that you may not even know it because I think that's the case for for a lot of white folks where it's just this is the water we're born into. We swim in it. This is the this is normal, and and uh, we you may not realize it. You may not. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't say that you're that. Uh, but I think some you we've talked about some some symptoms or some some things you can look for is when you're given these truths, these facts about our history, about systemic issues. If you're if you're consistently rejecting them as false, that's a that's a sign, right? That mm -hmm. uh, that you're normalizing the inequity that's there. Uh, let alone doing something about it, right? That's like a next step is then, you know, what, what can we actually, what can we actually do about it? But I, I yeah, so I think that's really helpful. Um, 
I want to ask, this is kind of changing subjects just a little bit, but uh, <clears throat> Michael, in your talk, you mentioned, uh, Glenn, you did some, uh, what, what you called in the talk race tests where you, Glenn, you joined, uh, or attended some white churches and you, you did that, uh, as assimilating Glenn Bracey and also as black Glenn Bracey, which are Michael's words that he used, uh, in his talk. Uh, hopefully those are, those are, uh, those are okay. So, um, but you found that assimilating Glenn Bracey was accepted, uh, by these churches, these white churches, and Black Glenn Bracey was made uncomfortable uh, so that he would leave. And I would love to just hear more about what you did, kind of what that process was like. And then what are some characteristic traits of assimilating Glenn Bracey that are different uh, than characteristic traits of, of Black Glenn Bracey? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll change up the language just a little bit, uh, if that's all right. Um, Please. Yeah, because it, 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 the, and the reason for that is it makes it seem as though um, how I approached the churches was different. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Okay. I approached the churches as someone looking to integrate into the churches. Um, but the churches either saw a need for uh, a Black person who was willing to do particular Black race work. Um, and uh, I call those utility-based race tests so that um, they they saw uh, they they had their own particular white interest in bringing in a black person or exclusionary race tests, which were designed to get me and other people of color to leave the church. And so like to give you an illustration of what those look like, um, they were un they were performances like un like coordinated but un un unplanned, I would say, performances by white churches uh, and the congregants in these white churches to either uh, bring you in on particular terms or to exclude you. So I'll give you an example of, uh, of each. And one example, I went to a, um, I went to a church and uh, the, the, the greeter was really fantastic, like introduced me to several pastors, and, you know, took me around the church, the whole bit, uh, white woman. And then at the end of my time, I was thinking, wow, this is unlike that, because I had done like seven or eight churches by that point. Um, and I was thinking, this is unlike any of the other churches. And then she said, well, there's somebody I really want you to meet. This is the person I really want you to meet. And she walks me over to a, uh, a biracial child who's about four years old. And, he, and on the way over, she says, you know, this child, uh, his dad has run off on him. And, you know, he's getting to the age where he really needs a, a, a black, I mean, a man in his life uh, who can step in and be a father to him, right? And I realized in that moment, and now this is a biracial child and whose, whose mother was black. So it was, it was a white man who had run off on this child, right? Mm. But it, rather than, you know, reach out to any of the white men in the congregation, this was a, an enormous church over, over 5,000 people, um, you know, like, they sought to recreate, uh, to create this Black family. And so she saw a need for me and uh, to do this particular kind of race work, right? Like of creating, of, of unifying this Black family. And so my ingratiation into the church was based on seeing that there was racial work for me to do. Um, you can see this in other, in other people's research too. I'll, I'll, I'll point to Jessica Barone's work in this area um, around managing diversity. It's, it's to, to just to add to the point. And then an exclusionary example, I went to one church 
and uh, we were at Bible study, so and it was sex segregated. So the men are outside, the women are inside. There's about eight men in the circle. Everybody's white except for me and another newcomer, a Latino guy. And they say, let's um, let everybody, you know, since we have new people, let's introduce ourselves. So they go to introduce themselves. The very first person says, well, my name is, uh, I'll call him, uh, I'll call him Ezekiel. And he says, my name is Ezekiel. And my favorite gun is a Glock. And I just shot it uh, six weeks ago. So the next, so that sets a precedent, right? And the next person says, well, my name is Tony and my favorite gun is whatever. And so they go around, it gets to the person whose house is, who's hosting it. He stands up and, and says, you know, my name is Peter and, uh, and my favorite gun, I don't know the name of it. I call it my China gun because when I shoot it, it goes chink, 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 chink. And he like is looking at me and the Latino guy and pretending to shoot us, right? Um, so if you ask the white people that were there, they would say, we did a greeting, you know, to try to, you know, introduce ourselves to, to these new folks. We want them to be part of our church, et cetera. But the things that they did were, uh, clearly going to repel any race conscious person of color. They used racial stereotypes. They used racist language. And forgive my language for, for that. Uh, they, they referenced historical violence, you know, all of these sorts of things that any person looking to, any person of color looking to be a part of the church would be repelled by, repulsed by. And so I found, you know, in every church I went into, and all the white churches I went into, either they did an exclusionary race test that was that was going to prevent race conscious people from being there or they did an uh, a utility based test where your inclusion in the church was based on your willingness to do some racial work so can so, i point out just one quick thing yeah. so when he says they're doing a race test an exclusionary one what what's happening there is if glenn is not offended by that action the the gun talk and everything then they know he's the right kind of african-american exactly. He is not race conscious. He is willing to support the white project. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks. Sir. Yeah. And I was just going to clarify for listeners that. So the race test being done is on you. It's not you on the church. It's that's on right. you on if this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. That's. Um, yeah. Are you willing to be part of this whiteness project and not challenge it? And 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 even better, if you're willing to be a part of this whiteness project and be a person of color who defends the project. Yeah, that's those are the, the that's the that's the question that you're facing that no one ever says explicitly, but their actions force you to declare yourself on one side of that argument or the other. Mm -hmm. And that really points out the need for discipleship within white churches around race around racism because there's i you know my my sample size is very small but the the white churches i'm around i think most would say like yeah you know we want black people here and we'll even there's even efforts to like try to get a black singer up on stage or exactly. you know to try to add in some gospel music or uh maybe a black guest speaker you know the, some some of those sorts of things and and i just want to say if you're not talking about justice issues and there uh there was even a um an article I read uh, within the last few years um, by Jamar Tisby, and it was about like the failure of the multi-ethnic church. So I'm trying to plant, we're planting a multi-ethnic church, trying to do that on a 
develop a network that that plants multi-ethnic churches. And so it's his words really, really stood out to me because these weren't even white churches. These are multi-ethnic churches. And he was basically saying, if you're just doing multi-ethnic church to get a bunch of people in a room that can like worship in different ways and, and whatever, you failed. You failed unless you're addressing justice issues because because then you're you're uh it's like the multi-ethnicity has a has a purpose to it in the sense of it's it's not just yeah in heaven we're all going to be diverse and so like revelation you know we're gonna we're gonna worship together let's do that now but those examples you brought up they show the need for tremendous discipleship that's needed within the white church to understand these things and i was trying to say that like i'm not trying to make this uh I'm not trying to make this bigger than other discipleship issues. It's that it's been so neglected. I mean, it's 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 not even on the chart. It needs to be a key discipleship issue, just like other discipleship issues in the white church. And when it's not, because it's just super biblical, and when you neglect it, you, you end up with tragic. I mean, both of those examples you gave are just... Those ought to be jaw-dropping to people, but those aren't random, isolated incidents. This is because of a lack of discipleship in the white church around these issues, right? That's right. That's right. And it reveals some of the stuff that we talk about in the book, that the church is, so much of the church is organized around whiteness, that these particular kinds of behaviors become, they manifest, you know, the the it's it's the emotional discomfort that you know, at least this is the argument that I make. It's the emotional discomfort that an incoming person of color poses that says, oh, we we need to protect the whiteness of our space, right? Like we need to make sure the church is a safe place for us mm-hmm. that generates these kinds of these kinds of behaviors around, okay, well, let's make sure that you're a safe person, right? Um, and and in that moment, in that moment of of giving a race test, whether it's utility-based or, or exclusionary-based, what is unsaid and unspoken and usually unrealized is those tests only become necessary if you think of your church as a white space to begin with, right? If you think of your church as um, something organized around whiteness and threatened by non-whiteness in the first place. So if you if you find yourself, oh, go ahead, Michael. <laughs> Just to reiterate again, they typically aren't going to think of themselves as we're a white space because it's universal, but they That's are right. thinking it is not a black space, right? Yeah, which of course exactly does mean it's white space, but that's how they're looking at it. like you you're not the norm here. So are you the right kind of other or are you not? Mm. Exactly. Exactly. And that and that exposes what the what the core project is. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up with this. What just what can people expect from your upcoming book? I'm trying to remember. Is it coming out in February? Is that right? Let us know when it's coming out, uh, the title, and then also just what what people can expect as they as they get the book and and dive into it. Co-authored book. Uh, worked really hard on it. Love if people take a look at it. It's coming out in February, Oxford University Press. It's called The Religion of Whiteness. Subtitle: How racism distorts what, Christian, faith. Christian faith or yes. <laughs> American Christianity. I, I forget the exact subtitle, but right. "Religion of Whiteness" is the is the is the book. Um, yeah, so that's what we know. Yeah, and what you can expect is to hear about um, you know a lot of uh, a lot of stories about um, Christians of color trying to navigate these spaces. 
and how the religion of whiteness has um, reared up to uh, to harm them, frankly. Um, you can hear about how the religion of whiteness manifests in churches, what that looks like in terms of um, teachings, what that looks like in terms of beliefs and practices, uh, what that looks like in terms of uh, interpersonal uh, behavior, and statistically, what that looks like in terms of responses to questions about race and racial attitudes. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll just say this as a uh, white person who had quite a transformation along the way. The, the most stunning thing to me, and it's just a very simple thing, is when you hear this kind of talk and you feel defensive and you say it's idiotic or just wrong, but say it's coming from Glenn, a Christian man who is classified as African-American, why, instead of feeling defensive, just say, try to make a little switch that says, I don't fully understand what he's saying. Let me ask, let me ask more. Tell me more about that. It's amazing what, how different life could be if we would just take that approach of, yeah. I'm not going to assume he's lying to me. I don't understand it, but he's a fellow Christian. So let me ask more. Yeah. That's, that is a, a, a good, uh, you know, closing word. If you guys have anything else to close with, I'll uh, let you throw it out. I want to say this as my closing word. Um, you know, I think as we all talked about at the beginning of this interview, these statistics are discouraging. Um, Michael, I think there's some discouragement of like, you know, you wrote divided by faith. Was that 2000 when that came out? Mm -hmm. yeah. So 2000, 23 years later, it's like, it looks worse. Uh, I will say though, you know, I, I am planting this church plant. It's small. I'm discouraged at times about the numbers and, you know, all those sorts of things. And it's easier to preach this to other people than to myself, <laughs> but just how small Jesus's work was, you know, in yeah. the new Testament and just the mustard seed faith and, just it was so small. It was just so small. And yet, you know, look what God did with it. Uh, your book, Divided by Faith, changed my life. You know, you and uh, George Yancey came and spoke at my seminary. And I was pastoring, I was two years into a church plant at the time. None of this was on my radar. We had just started doing some urban sort of park ministry work because we were located in the city. I lived in the city and it was all just kind of God lined this stuff up. I was way over my head. Um, Shout out to David Livermore, David Livermore uh, who was my professor at the time. He had us reading Divided by Faith. He brought you guys in, did the one-day conference, and that changed my life. And, and so that uh, we, I, through 10 years of blood, sweat, and tears, converted a homogenous white church into a multi-ethnic church. And now I've planted from the ground up a multi-ethnic church, and we have a, a director of Christian anti-racism on staff she leads a five-minute devotional in every service. I just say, this is our liturgy. This is like, you know, this is what you're going to get here. And then we do, we have an anti-racism team and we do anti-racism events that are for like the whole church to come to. And then I'm, I'm attempting with some black pastors uh, who are also pastoring multi-ethnic churches. We're starting a network called New Humanity. And we're trying to plant multi-ethnic churches that are also doing urban uh, community development, sort of CCDA style community development. And so it's all, sm it's all small, uh, but it's changed my life and I'm trying to be a change agent. And I know for a fact, uh, many people divided by faith is, was there also their book, their turning point book that changed their life. And I still recommend it to people all the time as a go-to book. And so I'm, I'm expecting the same from religion of whiteness and just want to thank you guys. Uh, no pressure, but uh, I want to thank you for your work because it, it really is, uh, it, 
it's needed. It is so needed. And um, we, uh, yeah, just thank you. So I, I, I don't say any of that to brag about anything I've done because it's all very small, but just know that there's others like me out there that are, that are uh, really, uh, you, you're, you're both of your, your work and your research in this field, uh, it's changing our lives and it's changing the way we see the church and, um, and Jesus. And it's, it's, a, it's a prophetic work in the sense that you guys are speaking truth, um, but some of us are listening. And uh, I tell people all the time, I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, I'm, I'm done with like force feeding people. I'm not going to make you eat this, uh, but I will um, make the food smell really good. And we're going to set the table and uh, we're going to eat and it's going to be great. And we're going to leave space at the table for you and you're invited. And uh, we, we want you to join us in this. So that's, uh, that's how I've started to approach it. And I found a lot of free, freedom in that. Well, amen to that and blessings on that work. We're just grateful to hear. It's encouraging. Yeah. yeah. Amen to that. Well, thank you guys uh, so much. This has been wonderful. Um, and uh, is there anything else you guys want to say? I know we've kind of said said a lot. We said it all, but any any closing words that you guys would have for listeners? I, you know, I, I like what you, you know, what, what the, the work that you describe yourself as doing is really is, is awesome. Um, you know, I, I know you describe it as small, but it is, it's major. And uh, it's the kind of thing that keeps me going because, you know, I can have some hope uh, based on the the changes and the things that you're, that you're describing and, and knowing that they are multiplied throughout the country yeah. is, you know, is very heartening. Mm-hmm. And this work is like, as you point out with Jesus, it almost always is small because it's not a popular message. So, mm-hmm. right. It, it, you know, if you had thousands pouring in, you might wonder, are they really hearing what, what's being said? <laughs> yeah. 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 Amen to that. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us on the flip side. Blessings on the book. When it comes out, we'll certainly uh, promote it the best we can and just keep up the great work. We're really grateful for you guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Welcome back. Uh, we'll get things wrapped up here on episode 84. Again, I hope that that episode challenged you. I'd encourage you to become a Patreon member. And if if so, you can send me messages via the Patreon portal. I'd love to interact with you more about that content. And uh, becoming a Patreon member also helps make the show sustainable. One more thing you can do that's free that can make the show sustainable is we just need to help grow this show. We need to help get it into more people's ears. Uh, please find your favorite episode. Maybe it was this one. Uh, maybe it's any episode in the past and share it on social media. That would go a long way in making the flip side sustainable, which would, which means we'll be able to continue to do the flip side. So if you want more episodes of the flip side, which I do, I hope you do as well. Uh, please uh, share an episode on, on social media. Use a little note. Tell your, your friends and followers why you listen. Encourage them to give it a listen as well. And like I mentioned in the intro, there's a whole bunch of other episodes on racial justice. If you want to get more context from the flip side, you can check out episodes 75, 65, 64, 63, 57, 55, uh, and 36 as well. So thank you so much for listening. I really, really do uh, appreciate it. This one, uh, this episode feels unique to me. There's there's a unique sense of the, the truth spoken about it. And, and I think... Uh, the digestion period as well. So give yourself some time to digest it. 
And uh, as I mentioned, reach out if you uh, if you want help digesting it uh, via the Patreon portal. And I will see you next time on the flip side. The flip side with Noah Philippia is a Beyond Ministries production. Copyright Noah Philippiak. www.noahphilippiak.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at Kalik Music. Used with permission. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. It's time to bring me closer. That's no purgatory because you're in or you're out. When you see them in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Poor pit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. And you ever-